and welcome to the February edition of the Cinetopia Radio Show. I'm here with some of our regulars. Jim is back one more time again. Jim, uh, welcome. Surprise. Yeah, you've got me for a bonus one. The baby's not quite come yet. So, you know, here I am with my terrible opinions. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, yeah, we're, we're recording this a bit earlier because hopefully today I'll be in Berlin um, watching films um, as well at the Berlin Film Festival. Also back with Isabel. Um, Isabel, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's a good start to the year. I mean, as good as one can be with a broken foot. But aside from that, doing doing very well. Oh no, you it's officially broken. It's well, it's mainly it's just got a big crack in the middle, so it's okay. I can still semi walk, but I hobble more than walk. I describe it as now. You, you sound so calm about somebody who's just described her foot as having a big crack in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've processed it now, Jim. I mean, right, I'm past okay. the processing stage. <laughs> and we're back with Steph, uh, Stephanie Brown. How are you, Steph? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Amanda. Yeah, it's been really nice to be back. I think last time I was back here, it was when we were um, doing Gagarine and Annette and things. I think that was back in October, November time. So it's nice to be back and talking about the new releases coming up, which I think it's quite exciting because we've got quite a mix of them today so yeah, yeah. um it's a pleasure being on the show and it's it's nice to be um back doing this i think with festival um year coming up and stuff hopefully um i've been taking a little bit of a break from doing a bit of this for a couple of months now but it's good to it's a good time to be getting back into it yeah it is um it, yeah it's great to have you back and as you say it is festival season or one of the festival seasons um Jim, you uh, attended, uh, like I said, hopefully I'll be attending Berlin Alley um, in person. And Jim, you attended uh, Sundance uh, virtually as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it was, um, I, the choices I made to watch virtually ended up pretty good overall, I think. Um, I think I, the average level of film, in my opinion, that I picked was probably better this year than last year, I would say. And there's a couple definitely to to keep an eye out for. Um, none, I think, fit in the Black Bear category. You'll be pleased to know, Amanda. We are, you Yay! Know, uh, you know, I like them, but they're odd. But no, there's genuinely a couple of a couple of pretty interesting films to keep an eye out for. Um, but yeah, it was a good it was a good festival. I like that virtual format. It gives you a chance to, uh, you know, because I don't think I'm going to be able to afford to go to Utah on a you know, press pass anytime soon. So yeah, it was good. It was a good festival. Yes, and it's very cold as well. Um yeah. there. I don't know why the really great festivals this yeah, just have to pick the coldest, coldest times and in, in the in the you know to to go to them. Um and so we're also uh well Isabel and I are doing a couple uh film events coming up as well. So Isabel tell us a little bit about uh what Cinescapes is up to um upcoming this month so we've got our first uh cine night back up on the rooftop of the moxie hotel in fountain bridge which um amanda and i are very excited to be bringing to town because we're showing a favorite of both of ours being roman holiday so that's going to be very very fun so please um come along and you can easily find tickets online and get it through all of our regular social things so we'd love to see you there and hopefully that will be a really exciting night yeah, and we're we've actually sort of programmed the rest of the for about five months now. So um, so hopefully by the time uh, we're airing this, you'll be able to see what what else we have in store in Moxie, right? Yeah, indeed. And I mean, we've got some really fun ones ahead. So 
all classic sort of good old school cinema and that's just what we do with those cine nights so yeah looking forward to hopefully having a few people come along and yeah we hope you enjoy the program of it and one of the things I'm quite enjoying about these is also making these uh, mixtapes, as I like to call them, of Spotify lists of are inspired of these films. And so I got really into it this weekend. So uh, we'll send it. We'll share a link in this as well if you want to listen on. And hopefully you'll join us for a Roman holiday as well. And the only other thing I'd like to add is that um, at the beginning of March on the second and third, um, we're going to be uh, bringing back the Framing Japan and Cinetopia doc. Um, unfortunately. Those last few screenings were canceled um, at the end of December, but we're bringing them back on the second and third, Wednesday and Thursday. And that's the double bill of Kazuhiro Soda's um, Mental and Zero. Uh, Zero had uh, premiered at Sundance, I'm sorry, uh, Berlin Alley in 2020. And, and there were there some amazing film observational documentaries. Uh, we actually got a chance to talk to Kazuhiro Soda as well. Um, and we will be playing that interview as well as part of the uh, part of the program that's at Summer Hall Cinema. So check out Summer Hall's website. We'll send a link on, we'll put a link on um, here as well. So we hope you will in, join us for either one of those, um, well, the, one of those three nights uh, that we have planned. And um, I was going to say, and we definitely do want to see you all at those ones. And I would just note, obviously, Summer Hall, it's a smaller cinema. Get your tickets in as fast as you can because these ones are pretty popular and we're anticipating to have a really good crowd. So it would be really great to have you all with us for those. Um, so on this show, we're going to review those films that you have hopefully seen or you will see um, in cinemas or you can see online um, coming out uh, to various streaming platforms. And the first one that we'll be reviewing is Nightmare Alley, uh, Guillermo del Toro's latest film. The second film we're reviewing is Parallel Mothers, uh, Pedro Almodovar's latest film. Third film that we're reviewing is uh, a documentary called Flea. Uh, it's coming out on Curzon um, On Demand, and I'm not sure whether or not that's also in the cinema at the same time. Uh, it's Jonas Poher Rasmussen is the director of that film. And I believe it was also nominated for a BAFTA for a best documentary this year. And also on that category of documentaries and nom BAFTA nominations, we also have Cow, which is currently, I believe, out in select cinemas in the UK, um, but it will be featured on Mubi as well on the 14th of February. And that's dire directed by Andrea Arnold. So let's get to our reviews. ask you simple questions. You will answer in short sentences only what you believe to be absolute truth. Absolute truth. I can do that. Now, brief as you can, what is your name? Stanton Carlisle. Are you a true medium? Yes, I am. Mr. Carlisle? Doctor. That. Please lay down. Can you read minds? Yes, I can. Under the right circumstances. Keep your answers brief. What do I want? To be found out, same as everybody else. Are you in contact with the beyond? Well, we've had our share of snake charmers in the past. We deal with them. 
So the first film that we're going to review is Guillermo de Toro's latest film, Nightmare Alley. And Isabel, take us through what we should expect to see with this film. So Nightmare Alley, we're back in sort of del, del Toro's favourite sort of style of territory, playing with sort of noir sort of film. Um, we're in 1940s New York and Stanton is this down on his luck kind of man and he finds himself at a carnival and basically starts working at this carnival for a little bit and acquires this wonderful trick of mentalism while he's there. And so we then follow him as he sort of moves from the carnival to other parts of life. And then basically on this big journey of combining man versus beast, what is what, what dissociates people, can you get spooked? It's basically an entire fun little disturbing carnival trigger of a ride and yeah one I implore everyone go and see so I'll hand over to somebody who wants to get the discussion started yeah no I um I enjoyed this um I'm a big fan of Guillermo del Toro's work uh in general and I think even some of his um less successful things I've quite enjoyed I even quite liked um Pacific Rim of all things but I think the fact that we're talking about this film and he also did Pacific that gives you an idea of the man's uh breadth of talent I suppose um I like this a lot. I like the tone. I like the sort of pulpy, noirish um, feel to the whole thing. I don't think it's a perfect film. Um, I do think it's a bit baggy. Um, you know, it's basically it, it, with the length. So it's about two and a half hours long with the different stages that we follow uh, Stanton through. You know, we opened with this very kind of, you know, enigmatic him putting burning a house with, uh, you know, a dead body inside it before he gets to the carnival. That's pretty much the the opening of the film, and it follows his relationship with, um, well, not relationship, his meeting with a um, sort of tarot card reader and fortune teller uh, played by uh, Tony Collette, whose husband Pete um, he starts to learn from, played by David Strathair, and follows him from that through to his relationship with uh, Molly, played by Rini Mara, and they're, you know, moving to kind of doing their two-person act that he's kind of adapted from that one he learnt um, in the high society of uh, the city, and it basically there's a lot of stages to this, and there's a little bit of an element of with it being two and a half hours long there's a bit of a shaggy dog story kind of feel to it which i'm not sure always kind of fits with the um the tense kind of like rapid way his character develops so you know i don't think it's perfect but i had a lot of i did have a lot of fun with it um in particular i think bradley cooper's performance is pretty good. Um, early on, he's very inscrutable, and I'm not sure how well that works for the start of the film. Um, you know, so there's a couple of bits and pieces where I'm not 100% on board with it, but in general, I really like the tone of it. I really like the look of it, um, you know, and it sets out very... I'm, I'm a sucker for, like, really, really artistic, kind of, like, well-crafted transitions. And early on, when he's on a bus that takes him to the carnival, there's this very very nice transition from it being this kind of like you know sun-kissed landscape to sort of like the darker wetter little sort of like neon lit to background of this um carnival as he pulls up in the bus and it's very impressive and there's a lot of nice little touches like that which i kind of um associate with um 
kind of the craft aspect of Guillermo del Toro's filmmaking. So I, I like this a lot. I don't think it's perfect, and we'll probably get into that, I suppose, but it's a film that's very much worth seeing, and I like the I like the tone. I think he gets it. I think it's not a it's not a pastiche tone. It's not a sort of like, you know, a nudge to it. I think he, he kind of embraces it wholeheartedly, and I, I really appreciated that about this film, I think. Yeah, um, I agree. Um, I think it was, I think it is, was really quite an entertaining flick, and it was really well crafted. I'm a big fan of um, Del Toro as well. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think that it was almost like a tribute to the golden age of Hollywood that kind of pays off. It's a bit like if Del Palma did a remake of Freaks in a way. I think the film, like, it does use a lot of kind of the same archetypes, such as like the femme fatale that have kind of resonated through cinema and, and even literature, I suppose, since like the 30s. And you can even see this kind of like aesthetic noir influence in a lot of the costumes in the film, you know, particularly the Stanton played by Bradley Cooper. And it's interesting when you look at this as a Del Toro film because Del Toro is quite known for the basis of his fables kind of centering around kind of early folklore and kind of traditional stories and things like that. And before like characters like the femme fatale became like a regular archetype in cinema, originally through kind of early folklore. And I kind of like this juxtaposition of this because it's kind of like Del Toro's illustrating his love for these stories have existed for centuries and kind of tracing it back to their roots in Hollywood. I think that Nightmare Alley, it's not anything that's kind of distinctly novel for me. I think that, you know, when you look back to the film noir influence, which is quite strong in this one, you can kind of see these traces back to like big, big films like Dublin Indemnity. And it's not to say that it's not enjoyable. For one, I think the performances in this film are quite excellent. I think it's always a pleasure to see Kate Blanchett on screen. And I think she's one of these actresses that's just so entrancing in everything that she does. And I think Cooper and um, Rooney Mara are a joy to watch as well. And I think Mara does well at playing kind of these understated performances that, that have their own flair to them. And I think she really does explore that kind of vulnerability of Molly extremely well. Um, because we don't really have a lot of context to the script to really explore much about her character. So it's kind of, it was kind of always up to Mara to kind of give that character what's presented on screen to us because there's not, there's not a lot of backstory to that, but there's a kind of an there's a, a lot of alluding to quite a quite a big backstory with Molly that's never really revealed. And I think that if I was being quite critical about this, to me, I think that if you can see these Del Toro touches in the film when you know it is his film, but I'm not sure it would be that obvious if you didn't. I was expecting more from this film because I, I do like Del Toro so much. I think he's such a fascinating director. But to me, I think that, especially with the characters, because you've got such a great cast, and you, you do spend most of the time as it develops with um, Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett and the rest of the characters are more or less known through their kind of carny personas than anything else. And I think because um, that because it is kind of a neo-noir, it's a very character-driven film um, at, its, at its kind of core. And to me, it feels a little bit unbalanced to have such kind of one-dimensional characters in the background when you've kind of, when you've kind of got this big enigmatic carnival flair for all of them and, and things like that so I think to me there was a little bit of an unbalanced tone to it but that's that would be me being quite heavily critical I think yeah I, I would agree with everybody except I didn't see Nightmare Alley I saw Nightmare Alley visions and darkness and light little to what I knew which is the version the black and white version um, when I when I looked up you know to go see a film in the U.S. 
I didn't realize the only one that is being shown is the black and white version. And I do believe a couple of cinemas in the UK are showing the black and white version as well. So that was a surprise to me. Um, and I, I miss that I didn't get to see all the, the film in its color um, grandeur. Um, and yeah, I've, I thought the cinematography in the black and white version was quite beautiful and very, there's, a, there's so much depth and density to just everything about this film. Um, but I, I, the part of me really wanted to see that in, in color, uh, you know, from, from the very beginning of the film, I was, I was, I was, you know, hoping to see that maybe perhaps because I had seen the trailer as well. Um, but the, the other thing I'd, I'd have to, you know, which made it more obvious to me how noir and how connected to, you know, the neo, the neo how neo-noir it was, um, all of those things you mentioned, Jim, just sort of the, the, the types of, you know, or, or actually staff, the femme fatale character, you know, all of these things came really, really more evident. And also particularly, like you said, Steph's freaks. I thought a lot about that. I, you know, I'd, I'd once made um, a, a short documentary about the Carney world. So I'm very curious and about this kind of tradition within America and also with that and within film and um, really kind of enjoyed getting into that world, even though it was kind of freaky if you will you know and 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 whatnot um so it was it was quite it was quite wonderful to see it in black and white and see how well it worked in black and white and how much that matched obviously its um inspiration but it did feel very much like i mean i know that uh, del toro is very much a film fan and you know the shape of water had this creatures of black lagoon kind of connection um this very much felt like it was a love letter to that, you know, that period of of, of film, as as everyone said. So, um, you know, I, I thought it it did it did a lot, um, you know, but it it definitely felt like it was it was recreating something, you know, that we've we've seen before in some in some ways. I think um, I think that's fair enough. Some of that. I think one thing I would the the only additional thing I'd say about the film, which we've all kind of hinted towards. A little bit um and sometimes this can sound like you're damning with faint praise but i don't intend it this way the, the production design of this film is fantastic i absolutely loved it um in particular there is um so once the film moves to the city and bradley cooper stanton he basically connects and becomes involved with a um psychiatrist played by kate blanchett as we've we've mentioned, she comes into the film later as almost as a sort of like femme fatale type um, archetype. But she has this she has this office that she operates from that is like this sort of weird sort of Art Deco come steampunk. Like it's fantastic. I absolutely love it. It's so ridiculously over the top, but it's just you can't help but like you know pour over every detail of it. And I think also the the carnival in particular the 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 show which is done by Willem Dafoe's character who you know is the one who um gives Stanton his opportunity at the at the start and it's got all these kind of like these weird grotesqueries around the place and you know things pickled places and that for me that one section was the part which had the um which had probably the most 
obviously del toroish touches to me like the, the sort of thing that i think about with like uh shape of water pan's labyrinth you, you know this this sort of thing that's probably where it was it was most obvious but really all of the, the it, it's kind of a film that you in that way and just the way he he's lit it and the, the emphasis that he's put in different parts of the space you kind of just want to luxuriate in it a bit and it's just but because of the tone it's got that feel of like you don't want to because everything's so sort of like seedy and morally gray and everything and uh, I, I had a lot of fun with it um in that respect i'll keep my trap shut on like black and white versions for now because i'm sure we're going to circle back to that eventually what i can say is the color version um was absolutely superb in that regard in, in terms of showing off that production design for me that's um uh, so I'm not going to rehash what everyone said. I think a lot of very, very similar comments on that. But when you're touching on Del Toro, it not seeming like Del Toro, I always think he's such a master of like this sort of garish violence. And this to me reminded me of him getting straight back into his old roots of things like Pan's Labyrinth. Like I thought this was the closest to proper Del Toro that we've had in a while. To me, I had issues with The Shape of Water. I found it sort of pandering more to say a Hollywood sort of perspective as opposed to doing his more sort of earnest material. Whereas this I felt was him going back in. He wasn't fearful of exploring the gritty, exploring the disgusting things and showing how brutal human beings can be. And I think at its core, that's sort of what he does best. He sort of just exposes this brutality and Obviously, in this film, the fact that we're like conceptualizing what makes man, what makes beast, like what separates us from the two. I think that he just showed a part of that in every single person. And it's that every single character in this had that element of there's a beast lying in there and what will it take to awaken you? Um, so, yeah, I absolutely found this film captivating. The two and a half hours just flew by for me, which is the first time that's happened for me in a while in the cinema. But I do also think that I feel quite sad, Amanda, that you saw this in black and white first, because the other thing I think Del Toro thrives in is colour. And he is so good with red and blue. And this is no exception. And obviously he's also got the bright lights and sort of like there's always that element of we're playing around in these greys and browns and darkness, but then we throw like shots of beautiful colour and that sort of keeps you there and you're always looking for more of that kind of like the peacock feather. So yeah, I just, I, I adored this film and I'm, I'm really glad to see he's brought back more of like what I love about his filmmaking to begin with. Yeah, I think, um, I think Isabel said on the point there actually, because with everything I've said, I, what I will say is, this felt more obviously del Toro-ish to me than the shape of water did. Um, you know, which which don't be right, like it has its elements, like with the creek, you know, with the creature design in the shape of water and things like this. But yes, this did remind me more of things like um, you know, Kronos, the Devil's Backbone, Pan's Labyrinth, like some of these things that you probably I mean, even you know, to a certain extent, the Hellboy films, especially after Ron Perlman shows up, but like it has more of those elements front and centre, I would say. It focuses on them more. It's not that they weren't in the shape of water, say, but it, there is a bit more focus on them here, I would say. Yeah, and I, I don't want to bring up a you know, controversial subject or, or maybe if Jim will add, but I don't understand why it was in black and white, to be honest, um, because, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure the point of that, other than the fact that it's so noir that, you know, they said that they, you know, lit 
it so that it could be in black and white, but I think that seemed a bit of a gimmick and I agree. I wish I had seen it. And maybe the only reason why I had got to see it, given that I've been in the States for a while, is that I could, you know, I, I could get the opportunity to see it for longer. If, I, if I'm being cynical, right, I don't doubt that Guillermo del Toro loved the idea of making a black and white version. Maybe he did, you know, him and his cinematographer on set made some choices that would enable that to happen. The reason for it is so they can get a second run in cinemas and they can bump up the box office and you can either release a second Blu-ray or you can make the Blu-ray more expensive because there's a different cut of the film on the disc. That's the only reason. It's the same reason that it was done with Parasite. It's the same reason that it was done with Mad Max Fury Road. There's like loads of it. This seems to have become the thing in recent years. It's like, oh, if it's got like a, you know, a named artistic, you know, kind of like revered by the art house director attached to it, then let's say we've lit it for black and white and let's get a version of it out which is in black and white. I, I'm a little bit cynical about it. It's more a case of in the same age when we're talking about, you know, seeing films as the maker intended and there's all this debate about streaming versus cinema. And I don't know why we're messing around, messing around with um, different versions of it in this way. To, to me, it's only slightly better than, you know, I mean, when you see black and white films that have been colorized, everybody's gen generally pretty disdainful about that. I don't really see why it's why 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 it's not that in the reverse i have to be honest but you know um you know and obviously like one size does not fit all here i'm sure there's probably circumstances where people do aim for that sort of thing and also you have films that go between color and black and white and you know there's all sorts of different shades of gray pun very much intended um in this scenario but i'm i'm, I'm just in at its core i'm a little cynical about it to be honest well, I think that's very fair because I would go now, now knowing that it's in black and white, even though I know I'll prefer the colour version, I will definitely go to the cinema and see it in black and white because I want to see how it changes my experience of this viewing, sort of um, viewing the actual movie. I have a few other comments that I want to make. Did anyone watch that TV show Carnivale? Because I found it, it really reminded me of that in part. So especially with the different, you know, preserved um creatures and you know different components it was yeah I felt like this was really paying homage to that in a little bit whether Del Toro was a fan of that show or not but it just sort of had definitely a bit of um a bit of um relevance to that and then the other thing was this is a completely irrelevant thing to the film but I couldn't get over how much Bradley Cooper especially in his beginning part of the film in his entire appearance, looked like Harrison Ford from Indiana Jones, like just completely like him with the hat down. I just, I, for a moment, I was like, what are we watching here? Are we watching Indiana Jones? But anyway, that was my final sort of comment. Well, it's, yeah, it's a hat. It's an Indiana Jones kind of hat for sure. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm excited to see it. And I, I think it goes back to this production design. It's such a beautiful, so, and what you said, Isabel, is that, you know, that his, his films are all about color. Um, I, I'm, I'm being cynical with you uh, um, for once, Jim, that I just, I don't, I don't understand the point of this other than, you know, going black and white, other than to reinforce neo-noir neo to add more, you know, box office, which is fine. We need, you know, we need more people to continue to go. There was nobody in my cinema uh, who you saw it, you know, so bring, you know, bring, people back to the cinema but I don't I don't see you know if this is the direct you know if, if the director's cut is color why is you know what why do we run 
yeah, second. I mean, this, this 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 same stuff is said every time. I remember when the um the parasite black and white cut came out. It was like, oh well, all the films that inspired it were in black and white, so it's an homage to that. It's like, yeah, I mean, okay, like you can. You know, I mean, like the you know, a huge chunk of cinema history is in black and white. You can retrofit any sort of narrative you want about being inspired by something in black and white. I mean, so you know, it's it's okay. I I don't doubt the, I don't doubt the honesty of say a Del Toro or a Bong Joon Ho wanting to do it and wanting to experiment with that. Like they're they're extremely good filmmakers, and part of that skill comes from them being interested in trying different things. I think the actual going to the point of releasing it and promoting it and like highlighting it as a genuinely different artistic vision, I find a strange one. And and especially when you think of the characters, like some of the characters in it, because to say this was a deliberate choice, it's like, well, why on earth would the costume designer have put Rooney Mara in so in much red, red and made red, that yeah. in such a component and then yeah. have that play with, you know, Bradley Cooper's eyes changing at different moments, not, not changing, but just being highlighted in different ways. Like it just seems very, you know, blasé to sort of say this was a deliberate curation when clearly part of the curation of this film was also the colour, but... Yeah, but also, I mean, you I mean, you said it's about the use of colour. I mean, there's one scene late on where I, I won't kind of articulate what the scene is about, but I mean, one of the key one of the key things in that scene and how it looks and even kind of the scene as conceived by the characters in the film, which will make sense when you see the film, is red popping out against what is otherwise a very kind of like washed out gray white background and you you're, you're not going to get that to the same extent i mean it, it, it's not that it's not going to exist in black and white it will to an extent but it's not going to have the same visual impact that it did and the same thing goes for uh you know the signage around the carnival the same thing goes for um you know the interior of kind of that that tent that um the geek is is in right at the start of the film because like you know there's a wooden pit that is lined by red wood it's just it's not it's really not going to have the same impact no i i just say i think that looking back at it like being shot now in black and white and stuff and i think that i'm on the same page with the like cynicism towards that and it's about getting more people to the cinema which i think is a good cause to me as well but you know i think as well because this film reminded me so much of, of um, Ted Browning's Freaks. I don't know if it's maybe quite a nod back to the 30s with that as well. Um, I'm, I don't think that's maybe the predominant issue that has been released like that, but I, I'm wondering if there's kind of an, the kind of aesthetic nod going back to that. I think, you know, I think that is quite, it is strange. I think that if um, there was an option to make Freaks <laughs> in colour in the 30s, that would have been the predominant choice. Um, to show a carnival but um it is it is funny it is kind of like weird to look back and wonder why there's so many now color and black and white cuts coming out and they're all it's all all seems quite not not recent recent but there seems to be much of an influx of that now from ever since parasite came out and things like that so i'm wondering if it is quite related to needing more seats in the cinema and, and things like that but I, I i i do want to i think it would be interesting to see this film black and white I do think that it loses it would lose a lot aesthetically for me because obviously as we were saying like the the cinematography is so so nice to look at in this film yeah and i will then go back and see it in color as, as soon as i can so that i can get the i, I feel like i lost something 
the, the things that you had mentioned um, there without, without it. Um, and don't give me, I love films. I mean, Francis Haas, one of my favorite films. And, you know, we were talking about 40 year old version. You know, I love films, modern films that are shot in black and white and are shot for a specific reason. I think it's just that it seems disingenuous to have like, as you mentioned, Isabel, to have created kind of this beautiful, colorful world and then to kind of strip it down, um, you know, to, to, to something as an homage to the films that it came came before. But, you know, uh, what, you know, that's my personal opinion. Okay, so that's uh, Nightmare Alley. I was currently out in cinemas near you. Um, and if you're in the US and uh, black and white as well. Okay, so the second film we're going to review today is Parallel Mothers, uh, the latest from Pedro Almodovar. Um, it came out in the UK on the 28th of January and is also out in the States as well. Uh, Jim, tell us about this film. So we find ourselves in Madrid and the film basically primarily follows two women. Um, I would say the probably the one that follows the most is Janice, played by Penelope Cruz, um, who is a photographer. And as the film opens, um, basically she's getting involved with a, a forensic archaeologist called Arturo, uh, and she becomes pregnant by him. At the same time, um, when she goes into the hospital, and the film kind of cuts back and forth in time, particularly in the first kind of half of the film, um, she befriends Anna, who is a, a teenage single mother um, and is accompanied by her mother, who seems a little bit kind of indifferent, maybe a little inconvenienced by uh, Anna being pregnant, um, and they give birth at the same time. And basically, it follows it follows their journey into early motherhood, um, raising their children, and they kind of come and go from each other's lives. And then the film develops from there later on. Um, I won't go into that too much uh, and I'll leave that open for um, other folk to talk about as well as trying not to give too much away about what happens but a secondary strand which is going through this and I think is very important for the film is as the film opens the reason Janice makes this connection with Arturo is because initially um, she's asking him to help um, secure uh, funding and help to open up a a mass grave in her home village uh, from the Spanish Civil War where a lot of her family and people around the village believe uh, many men, including her great-grandfather, uh, are buried so they can be um, they can open up that grave and give them a proper a proper burial. So that's kind of a strand which is going throughout the film and I think is probably quite important for some of the things it wants to say and the themes it wants to bring up. Um, but I'll leave it to other folks to say how they, how they found that. I, for one, thought this was excellent. Um, I think I'd probably... I don't know if it's in the top kind of like few Almodovar films that I've I've seen, and I think anybody who listened to the show when we did Pain and Glory, uh, I think a couple of years ago now, will know I absolutely love that film, and I'm a, a huge fan of Almodovar's. Um, but I'll, I'll pass over to someone else say what how they how they found the film and what they thought of the story. Um. I um I like you, Jim. I loved this film. I mean, it, it was a heavy watch, but I absolutely loved it. And coming from the position of really enjoying Pain and Glory, I was wondering whether it would live up to that. And I liked this sort of 
look at what it means to be a mother and becoming a mother and exploring the different bond that you can have with different people that you don't really have much in common with, except you found yourself in these same circumstances. So Anna and Janice, I think, as you touched on, Jim, they find themselves being in the same room when they're about to give birth. And then it's basically a journey of exploring both of them now as mothers and how they sort of parent and what they're doing in their own separate parts of that. But these two people are very, very different, come from very different backgrounds, but yet have found this incredible common ground. And I really liked that exploration. But what I think I really like most about um, his particular style of filmmaking as well is that he just offers a look at different lifestyles without judgment. And I always find that quite an interesting take in most of his work. So I found that in The Skin I Live In, in Volva, like it was just, he has a really interesting take on different perspectives. And aside from that, I thought both Penelope Cruz and I can't think of the other girl's name. Um, uh, Melina Mil- Smith. Melina Smith. I thought they both did a fantastic job. Like Melina Smith was sort of um, a little bit more, I found hers quite raw, quite a very sort of exposing sort of performance. And obviously Penelope was just, yeah, explosive. So it was quite cool to see this sort of more demure next to this sort of explosive energy. So yeah, I thought it was a great film and really enjoyed it. I agree with all of that. I really enjoyed this film. Um, this is actually my first um, Pedro Almodovar experience. He's always been one of those directors where I've had films on a like, watch list for a while, but just haven't really got around to any of them yet. And um, by sounds of it from um, Isabel and Jim, I might um, go with Pain and Glory next. Um, I think he's having a bit of a movie run at the moment. So if it's so it's the right time to give his films a watch. So if you're like me and you've caught Parallel Mothers and you want to see more um, and you have a movie subscription, I think there's quite a lot of his films on there at the minute. Um, if you're going by this film, then yeah, he's definitely one that I want to make time for. I got, yeah, I got a lot from this film. I think it, I think it is one of those films that is going to be quite divisive. I saw it at the cinema yesterday and a man fell asleep behind me around halfway in. So I think you're either going to engage with it or you just won't. <laughs> For me, I really enjoyed it. I think the blend of the personal stories at the heart of the film and then the kind of regional historicism and past horrors that were so close to Janice and her family's lives, I think that really helped to channel the kind of inner conflicts that Jenner's character goes through in the film because she is really quite a, char- a challenging character to understand. And what really drew me into this film, which was kind of this disregard for a moral analysis of Janice's character, we are sort of plunged into her story with the knowledge that a lot of her actions and choices are wrong without too much debate there. But the film doesn't really touch the path of going into this ethical ambiguity or bother um, too much with constructing a kind of complex character study and make Janice more of a antagonist along the way. To me, that to me, this was what the most, one of the most interesting kind of narratives in the film because I think it strayed quite far away from convention where the plot kind of landed itself to the opportunity to be, it could have been much more sensationalist film than it was. And I think that the way that the stories were told um, without too much provocation or fixation to have a kind of a darker mood piece as it went along meant that the relationship, particularly between Jana and Anna's, um, Janice and Anna were much more interesting. <laughs> There's got to be 
kind of some conscious omission with this review because it's quite easy to throw a big spoiler out there with this but I think it's really interesting looking back on the film because I think there's a lot of what ifs with this film because there is such a, a huge cause and effect element that almost seems unavoid seems avoidable for Janice there are points in the film where you know her search the truth in one area brings upon a huge emotional reward and the other involving Anna is quite emotionally devastating as well. So there's, but there seems to be the same kind of catharsis. So there's a real kind of theatrical tragedy at the core of the of the climax of this film in a way. I think in summary, like the story is, is truly quite unique and not so much in the plot entirely, but in the way that it is narrated. And I think the performances by Penelope Cruz and Milena Smith are fantastic. It's a solid recommendation for me, definitely. I think um, something that you touched on at the end there, Steph, in terms of like talking about how the, the story is uh, narrated. And I mean this kind of in the sense from Aldor, because obviously the film doesn't have a narration or anything like that. I don't mean it literally. But I think the th what, the, what the film does for me extremely well is it has this core story, which is quite... Um, you know, it's quite dramatic, and I think if you were being uncharitable, which I'm not going to be, but if you didn't engage with everything the film was wanting to do, you would, you could almost accuse it of being a little bit soapy. Um, but I think what the film does, which is really, really well executed, is blending some of the bigger ideas it has with the and this background element with this. Um, you know, the, the, the themes of kind of like family lost in the Spanish Civil War with what the characters are going through in the present day and, and looking at this idea of how families are formed. And it, as the film progresses, it plays with that quite a bit, actually, in terms of, you know, what is a family and who is a part of a family and this idea of what how how do you form a familial memory this kind of like this idea of shared ideas of who is in a family and what role they played and where they where they came from where they've gone to and there's a lot of stuff floating around which i think will probably require quite a bit of processing in particular without again without getting into the details of um some of the stuff that is revealed later in the film you know there's there's a lot of um joy here in terms of um motherhood children being raised celebrating your um heritage and your family but there's also a lot of trauma there as well and steph has kind of hinted towards that with the um a lot of the stuff that janice goes through in the film as i say also the the historical context is um always there in the background and basically is the spur um for Janice becoming a mother and connecting with Arturo and basically it, it comes from that kind of like very tragic um, history that they've connected or to try and kind of you know dig up both literally and metaphorically really um, and I think the way that that is blended together it's not as if it's in constant conversation with each other these ideas but it's always there and it basically gives the film a little bit more a little bit more than just the immediate drama of the situation as it develops. There's always something more going on there. And I think that that is the smartest thing this film does. The, the performances are undoubtedly excellent. I mean, Penelope Cruz is really good. Melina Smith is, is also fantastic. I, I also want to give a, 
a shout out to the the woman who plays Anna's mother, who I think is Aitana Sanchez Gijon. I think that's Teresa. I think that's the, I think that's the right character, uh, who is also excellent because she plays this very different, um, or you know, not necessarily particularly maternal mother, and it gives a slight different spin on what is going on with the other characters. And I think just all these things blending together is done extremely well. When it would have been very easy to lean on this as a you know a very just kind of the immediate drama of the situation. I think coming at it from, you know, Almodovar standpoint, I don't think that was necessarily likely to happen with this film, but it could have, it could have happened with this idea, with this script, um, but it doesn't do that. And I think you can get a lot more out of it if you engage with it on that level, as well as the, you know, the immediate performances and the immediate plot. Um, I also loved Teresa. I, I, and not that she's a particularly, likable character although she's not unlikable but every single time she was on the screen she just sort of took my breath away and all of her curation like her outfit curation I thought they did a fantastic job with her performance um I always like how um Almodova always um looks into this concept of motherhood you know it's always a running sort of piece in all of his films and so I quite like that this time was just a complete exploration of that and from all the different angles and you as you touched on Jim that whole look at Teresa as well as a mother and not particularly a maternal one but just showing how you can be all these different elements which I think at the moment is quite an interesting um quite an interesting subject line that we're exploring more and more in cinema especially with films of late like The Lost Daughter that's just come out and we've seen a different take on motherhood in that as well so I really enjoyed that part. Steph, what you were touching on before about it feeling very theatrical, I couldn't agree more with. It had this play-like structure where every now and then they'd just sort of close off a scene and it would just sort of be somebody standing in a room. And I thought that was quite powerful because it did give you a moment to just take pause. And yeah, it's just a very, very engaging film from start to finish. Well, it sounds like it's a sure win uh, for our team. And um, I'm a huge amount of our fan and just didn't get a chance yet to see this. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing Parallel Mothers. Uh, check it out right now in cinemas um, if you can. So the next film we're going to review is Flea which just came out on the 11th. Um, and Steph, tell us about that film. Thanks, Amanda. Um, um, yeah, um, Jonas Pohar Rasmussen's animated documentary um, tells the story of a young man who um, kind of shares his life story for the first time, um, recalling his experience as a, young, as a young boy who fled Afghanistan to escape the Taliban. And um, it goes on further to talk about where they kind of, went on to seek him and his um, family experiences, seeking um, refuge in other places, particularly in um, Moscow, Russia, and the kind of horrors that um, came along with that. Um, it finally goes into where he is with his, where his life is now, ever since um, he's kind of grown up in Denmark, um, after being um, trafficked there alone as a minor um, to kind of um, escape, escape Russia. Um, I I loved um, this film a lot. I think this is probably going to be, I'd be surprised if this isn't in my top 10 um, when the year comes to a close. Um, 
so I'm gonna let everyone kind of I'm gonna let the people kind of go ahead of me with this but um and share their thoughts but yeah I was a huge fan of this film I'll second that Steph I think this film blew me away from just even so I'm not a huge um animation fan I don't necessarily always love films that like I think of things like a scanner darkly or films you know uh, that I don't necessarily love taking real life or, or you know, sort of things and, and doing it. But I thought this was so powerful with use of animation. Um, I thought this, this story was incredible and the combination of using sort of archive footage found, I think it really, um, it was such a personal story um, that captured a absolutely harrowing tale of, a, of, of what this um, person's gone through and done in such, a an incredible way and I was I, I was captivated from the very moment and until um, the very end I just I think it's an, an, an you know it's an incredible new a form of documentary that I think I've I've not seen done that well I'm no, I know there's been animation document you know use of animation and documentaries for many years but I think this was done in a wonderful way um I um so I caught this film last year, which um, when it was playing at one of the festivals when I am um, in town at Filmhouse. And at the time, I absolutely like I like you both said, like I was very taken by the film. I find it incredibly powerful um, and again, won't recite everything that you've already said. The only thing I don't like about this film is kind of what you both love about it. So unlike the both of you, the part that I didn't enjoy is the combination of the archive footage with the animation. For me, I find it much more investing and less distracting to stay in one art form and follow that art form through. So every single time that we swapped between things, I would get taken out of the story and that's when I'd find my interest be lost. So to me, that part is not something I enjoy. I enjoy everything that the story is exploring, I enjoy both mediums by themselves, but I think it would have been much more powerful if it was just animation for me. Um, I'm going to agree with Isabel um, to a certain extent. Um, overall, I, I overall I like this film. Right, it's it's an extremely um, harrowing, involving, and you know I hate doing this in film criticism, but important story. Right. As a film itself, I don't know if I'm 100% sold on all the choices it makes. Um, I'm not sure it makes... I'm of the opinion that I'm not sure it really makes particularly great use of archival footage when it does do it. Um, I think it highlights... For want of a better word, I think it highlights the artifice of the images and the animation, to be honest, um, without necessarily illuminating... Um, much more. The animation itself, um, I like the idea. I like the way that it aims kind of colouring in around the edges of this man's, uh, I mean, life. In particular, I think the way that it jumps between um, his childhood, his time in Russia, and his time now with his um, adult partner, and connects kind of the way that trauma is still affecting him now in what is an otherwise you know like quite quite nice what should be a quite nice home life is done is done very well 
I do find overall, I think the animation has a bit of a distancing effect for me. And I think part of that is to do with some of the choices made for the style of animation. It's a very low, um, it's a very low frame rate animation a lot of the time. It's quite a sort of jerky motion. And I see why that's the case in some in, in some instances, because a lot of this is meant to be formed from is meant to be formed from his memories, right? So I don't think you'd expect necessarily like a high fidelity representation of it. And I think that's why the animation in and of itself is, is probably a reason is a reasonably good choice for this. But I find there are segments of the film where, in my view, it does it a lot better. You know, there are times where he's obviously struggling to recall something or remember something. And when that is the case, the animation kind of like drops into this very stripped back kind of pencil drawings of things and it's a lot more it's a lot less distinct and i think the idea of processing those memories in this way and evaluating the impact it's had on you whilst not necessarily being able to remember the fine grain detail of the event itself when it does that i think it's really i think it's really effective um outside of that i'm a little bit more mixed on it um overall i like the film I'm not, I'm not head over heels with with every choice it makes in the animation, though. In particular, the choice to then step away from that and go with the archival footage. I think it, it, it's a good, it's a good film. I don't think it's a great film, if I'm honest. Um, I think I agree. I'm probably more the way that I watch this film more with Amanda with because I I did actually quite like the animation, and I'm not really someone that's massive on animation in general either. Um, but I, for, for me, it did it did work for this documentary. I do get, I do kind of get work that is a little bit jarring when there is archive montage mixed in as well, though. And um, for me, it didn't bother me as such. But I do, I do get everyone's um, point of view there. I think my initial response when I was watching this film, and I think I think it is a film that everyone needs to see. I think that it will be a little bit divisive because of the animation more than anything else, possibly. Um, I think that it really reminded me of, I don't know if people seen, I don't know, I think I seen it a few years ago, a few years ago, it was, I think it was sort of mid 2000s, it was Ari Fulman's Waltz with Bashir, and that was kind of a very similar concept, and I think that, I think it's going to, it's one of those animated documentaries that's very much focused on retracing and on retracing and understanding identity and during the hostility and the conflict of war um albeit from kind of very different angles and I, I think it does have that in common um I think now that I have had more time to reflect on it that's quite a reductive way to kind of look at this film it, I think it will inevitably be aggressively compared to that work though but I'm not sure that was, I think that the influence was there, but I'm not sure that was actually the intention of this film at all. Um, I think there are things that work um, really wonderfully with, with Lee. I think that um, the animation obviously is here to serve kind of multiple purposes. You have the anonymity, then you have the kind of, I think the same way with um, Fullman's work is to dilute kind of the horror that's there. And then you have flashes of that when you have the archive montage as well. Um, I think that it was quite, I think that the way that this film kind of ex explores kind of repression and repressed experiences, um, it comes off a little bit confusing in the beginning because it seems to, because um, you're not really sure the intention 
behind the documentary, I think, when you first, because it comes up a little bit like a therapy session. You have kind of like a, a sort of probing into Amin's psyche. And, but then I think as the film develops, you under, I think it becomes much more understandable that there is this kind of sense and space between um, um, Rasmussen and Amin, where, the kind, where Amin kind of has this, um, this space to disclose um, what he is comfortable, comfortable with at different parts of the film. And I think that's why the narration comes, comes across very fragmented and, th and I think that's what works really well about it because it comes, becomes more human and organic the way that it's kind of shared. I think you can kind of, I'm not sure, um, I think that I read that, you know, I think the director was very close um, with this man with, when making the film. And I think you can really see that with the way that it's filmed because there is something really kind of touching the way that um, he's able to kind of delicately express the different parts of his life at these different times. And you can see how these kind of interlink together. Um, I think, like, as I said, it's quite inevitable that I think this will be looked at at the side of um, Fallman's work because it is quite similar, I think, in its concept. But I, to me, I think with the whole way that it views the subject matter and the way that kind of repression and stuff's explored is, is it's taken to it's taken in a, a much different way. So I'll be interested to see if there's quite a lot of comparisons there with that. But I think in general, yeah, I would I would really recommend this film to anyone. It is, it's, I'm, it's been one of the, I think it's been the best film I've seen this year, to be honest. Yeah, I, I agree with you too. And I'm, I'm, I have to say that like for a couple of things, one is animation sometimes distanced me. And I think that's what I was trying to say is like, but there's something about, and you know, we talk a lot about sound, but the sound, there's something about the story, the power of the story in, in the soundtrack, in that interview conversation, the connection between the filmmaker and um, the main character that works really well and and floats between the two the the various forms that it's using um, whether it's be archive or animation and so I do disagree and I kind of think it's interesting because well, I know Jim you didn't like Gagarin as much as I did but you know there were plenty of films that we saw over the last year that combined this mixture of whether or not it's you know, it's not just animation, but I'm thinking Martin Eden, I'm thinking Gagarin, and I'm thinking of, you know, using archive footage in certain ways that kind of, that that do something. And, and I'm a huge archive person versus an animation person, but I learned a lot more or got, I felt a lot more connected to this topic of, you know, and this history of, you know, um, and understood kind of the Afghan, Afghanistan situation in the late seventies, through this story than I do an Adam Curtis documentary with entirely like complete document, you know, like documentary footage. I think that feels distant. I think this to me, um, and, and I've also, you know, I'm, we've seen quite a lot of, you know, stories around the refugee crisis. And, but I think this one really, but between those two things, and I wouldn't take the archive footage out at all because it helps kind of plant you in, you know, in, in the, you know, in the reality. And I, I, you know, I think that combination actually worked incredible in a way that I have, I've not seen that. So I, I, you know, I stand on that. I think it, you know, it, 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 it did it better than Mar I thought Martin Eden was not that great in terms of, of, of that. And I thought Gagarin was, but I think this one was really, really well done. And it was, it's more just how it, it how it in the story really hit me um you know I've, i was deeply moved by this film deeply I, moved 
Yeah, I, I mean, part of the problem with reviewing this sort of film is it, I, I, you need to work, or at least I find I need to work quite hard to to review the film rather than the the topic of the film, right? And I, they're, they're even this is even the case with some narrative films, and I think it, it is important to say that it is a very moving, affecting story, um, you know. And I think so, like the core ingredient of this film. Is excellent. I think when I'm talking about the distancing effect of the anime, and, and it's not that I find I find animation distancing in and of itself. I think this animation I find a little bit distancing, and I think a slightly different style maybe would have worked with the archival footage. Maybe a slightly different way of using the archival footage might have worked with this animation style. I I don't think those two blended particularly well for me. And then when you take the animation on its own, I think some of the choices that have been made there, um, maybe, I mean, my view, I'll be honest, I think do detract a little bit from the the story. I think that the core, the core story of Amin's life to this point is strong enough and compelling enough and, and and so forth to to carry the film, but I do but, but I do think it is carrying it at points, um, and and that's why I'm saying you know it's not that I think this is a bad film, far from it. I say I think it's a good film, but I think I'm a I, I I will confess I'm a little surprised that it's quite as lauded as it is, and I'm I'm glad Steph brought up Waltz with Bashir because I think if you've seen that, that's the thing which will kind of automatically come to mind when you see this, but I think there's the, and what I will say in the film's favor, because, you know, in contrast to particularly Amanda and Steph, I probably sound a little bit negative about this, but what I will say is there are a lot of documentaries that have tried that style since then. I think this is one of the much better examples of doing so. I still don't think it's quite, it's quite connected for me, you know, in terms of like a, a whole package, the story with the style and the kind of the, the choices about how to tell it. But what I will say is a lot of films have attempted this and a lot of them have not done it anywhere near as well as Flea manages here. Yeah, and I and I I feel as if I'm coming from maybe the unique perspective of I adore animation. So I always love animation. I think it is such a powerful tool of teaching us really difficult subjects in a really accessible way. And aside from not enjoying the combination of two different mediums ever, so that alone is just a personal opinion of mine. I don't like it, I don't understand why we do that. But I I think why it took me out of the subject matter was at times when it would flick to the archive, I then felt it was just trying to remind me, but this is important. Whereas I was getting that this was important and I was being educated and I was really enjoying it and I didn't need some very jarring imagery to be thrown at me to remind me that it was important. I just felt like that was spoon feeding to people a little bit as well. But outside of that, I enjoyed this movie. I would recommend everyone should go and see it and I think everyone should go and see this, but I have issues with different parts of it. It's going to be really interesting actually to hear more people's opinions of this film because I think it's really, I think obviously because we've we've all talked a lot about the animation and stuff, especially um, how it's becoming a concept in documentaries and things. Um, I think that um, it's difficult because 
I think when we, if we are fans of animation in general, or if we aren't, I think that wherever we kind of stand with animation, it's got this kind of, always got this kind of lighthearted, fun tone to it. So it's difficult to kind of, when you're, when you're watching something in animation, it's something very kind of disturbing and very serious and you're watching it through animation, you've kind of got to have a rejection straight away that this is not the same animation that you've kind of been programmed to kind of have these tones with. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with not engaging with it because it doesn't work for you. I think it's not the sense of, you know, people are going to be watching it wrong or people are going to be missing the point. I think that it's, it's just going to be the case where for some people it works and some people it doesn't. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of where as more reviews come in with this film, how many people are kind of either put off by the animation or quite kind of taken in by it. Yeah, and I wouldn't say that I dislike animation. I think unlike Isabel, I just don't, I'm just not as knowledgeable about as, it's not, it's not the first, I'm knowledgeable maybe more on documentaries and have not seen as many documentaries apart from, you know, some, a few that have used animation and, and, and I think it's very innovative and I think it's very, it's very, you know, it's, it's something worth exploring. I do think though that there's, a, you know, instead of distancing, I think there's a, like you were, or like you said, kind of humor, there's something surreal about animation. And I don't, you know, um, we've been talking about black and white versus and a lot, you know, Nightmare Alley, black and white versus color and mixing between those two. And I'm thinking, I know this is completely off the thing, but like I found a lot more jarring in a, like a Wes Anderson film to have black and white color animation, all these things pop together and stuff like that, where I think in this, in this capacity, I needed some grounding in, you know, in, in like in some sort of reality with real, you know, with this footage and, and maybe it's spoon fed a little bit to me. Um, but I thought, I thought that that really worked. And I also think it works because it was very clearly put, you know, framed in a certain way. Um, and it, it really did help me. Um, while I think a lot of the emotive personal spots were in the, were in that animation thing. And this has given me more excitement to see other animated documentaries going forward. So it's, it's put, it's, it's not put me off. It's actually pushed me forward for that. So Flea is available on Curzon at home and hopefully in cinemas as well. Uh, check it out if you'd like. So the final film we're going to review on the show is Cow, directed by Andrea Arnold, who's well known as a fiction filmmaker. And the film follows the daily life of the dairy cow, Luma, a Holstein cow that is. And we watch her go through her daily routine over the course of, I think about four years. Um, that includes things like giving birth to two calves, getting pregnant, you know, eating grass, but mostly living within this confines of this industrial dairy, um, you know, dairy milk plant. Um, the film is largely narration free and even the music itself as seems mostly diegetic, which meaning that it, it's, it's actually playing in the space. Um, it's, it's what the cow would have heard or people working in, in, in the factory are here, um, which really creates this ambience. Um, it's deeply sad and depressing at times, but also sometimes serene in different 
things. I think this film kind of um, is, a, is an observational film very, very much. Um, and it's sort of maybe likens itself to some other films that recently you might have heard of um, around farm animals or captive animals. I'm thinking uh, Victor Kostkowski's uh, Gunda and also Nicholas Philibert's Nanette. Um, and so I was curious what you guys thought about this film. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna be honest. I, I struggle with this film emotionally speaking. Like, um, like I was crying watching this. It was just quite unusual for me. I I can get quite affected by films to be honest, but I'm not usually one to be bursting into tears <laughs> watching something. Um, I think obviously this is Andrea Arnold's first, you know, non-fiction work, and um. She is. I think I do enjoy from what I've I've seen from her. I do en enjoy her films. I think she's quite a very unique director. Um, the first film I seen from her um was Fish Tank. I think it was quite a few years after it was released, and then I caught Red Road um just last year, which is probably one of the best things I'd seen that year. To be honest, um, I think her films are so captivating in the way that you know they're very character centric, and it's kind of and it's I think um it's always um from what I've seen it's always um kind of female um like women protagonists um in our films and there's this sort of uh there's this sort of um existential crisis that's drawn from um these characters and their inability to understand and how to react to kind of adapt to certain hostile changing environments um and looking at kind of underrepresented kind of um categories of people almost and there's always this kind of hiddenness, like search for agency in her films, which is interesting when you see that she has filmed a documentary centered around dairy, dairy farming. So I was really interested to see what this documentary was going to be. I was, expect, I was expecting something kind of, I think, slightly philosophical from her. But I think this was all much different to what I expected this to be. It's really interesting when you watch this because it, from the way it's filmed, because it is a documentary, but there's, there's almost no dialogue. The only kind of chatter you hear is from the the farmers in the background kind of going about their, their working day and um the cinematography is really interesting because it, it, it sort of centers around this one cow who um you follow through the whole story um to to where she um has her young and then which is taken from her and it shows kind of it's all the things that you already kind of knew about dairy farming anyway but didn't I think it's one of those things that people don't really want to be be shown and I think when you go back to I think it was a few years ago we had kind of there was sea spiracy on Netflix and there was cowspiracy before that and there was you know there is this very divisive thing with these kind of films um I think in the way that um, Andrew Arnold kind of shot this it wasn't meant to be a sort of provocative documentary in the same way that things like Cowspiracy was meant to be I think that obviously there is the, with the way that this is filmed and you have these um these vis these visual metaphors and um, when you look at the um you look at the farm and there's all these gates like and um, banging shut and it's almost like a prison and and there's all these mechanical um things going on it's almost it's kind of the same way that she's with her films like Red Road and, and Fish Tank and going back to agency, it's sort of showing the way that these animals, you know, have this routine where they're essentially don't ha can't stray from it. This is what they are 
their lives are. They they fought and it's it's all the way until you know that kind of comes to an end. So it is interesting to see the way this is filmed because it's it's almost like I think that there is quite a lot of divide where the people want with the way that people view um the, these kinds of topics, especially surrounding farming and stuff. And I think that Andrea Arnold kind of like does kind of subtly touch on this at the way that there is a certain way that we kind of project the way that we see other human beings suffering onto animals when it's a different experience. But at the same time, there's this kind of undertone of it in, in a broader sense, like, should we be using this kind of, should we be using this kind of almost stare onto these creatures at the way that we see other people? And there's an argument that we should, like, when everything is sentient, then that, that should be the case. And there's, but there's also this kind of, there's also this kind of acknowledgement that when we're when things are kind of when we're using um, these topics in this way that that is kind of where where this conflict is kind of arising, and I think that is there's a lot of um, really nice like visual metaphors as well. You had kind of there's a a bit in the film where the um, where the cow is about to mate with a with a bull. And there's this like rap song, like R&B song in the background with a firework going off. And it's kind of having, it's kind of having this kind of, it's almost like we're seeing, like seeing this through a very human lens when to animals is it's extremely different. It's kind, of, it's kind of like, that's the one kind of, I suppose, humorous nod to this, which is quite a bleak um, look into the dairy industry. And it's really, I think it's, it's really affecting. It was really affecting to me. To watch to watch this um, I'm interested to see what other people's opinions are of this film as well so it, I, it, I think we'd, we've been mentioned to this film being divisive I, I, I have to be honest I find it very divisive even my even in my own head um, I think so to give some context I am a big fan of Andrea Arnold's narrative work um, we were discussing just before we kind of like came on air um which of her films we'd seen and I, I i've seen all of her feature films apart from american honey and i was one of the one of what felt like the few people who was really really into her version of uh, wuthering heights that came out about uh, a decade ago now so i think she's an extremely good filmmaker um and i think that comes through in this film i think it comes through in 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 cow this documentary i think it towards it, I can't really decide whether it toes the line perfectly or whether it kind of flips between being quite didactic in what it wants you to take from it and not being. And I think where the film's at its strongest is when it's not doing that, when it's taking that kind of like step back and it's taking that approach that is probably a little bit more familiar, I would say, to viewers of her other films, where it's not really forcing the message that it's i wouldn't even say that it wants to deliver but it, it is demonstrating right um there are quite a lot of choices that are maybe a little bit too cute for me um i i, I don't know whether the music is diegetic or not but i think given the way some of the the, the way some of the tracks line up with what is happening they, they can't possibly be uh, and they're just they're they're treated to to sound that way and I think some of those choices are maybe a little bit too on point. Like Steph has already mentioned the kind of the the, the music that is playing when um, there's kind of basically a forced mating scene going on. I think the film is quite 
clever though when it kind of takes a little bit of a step back and it allows this story of this dairy cow to just kind of play out and i think when it's not doing things like this the, the music choices and things like that it basically allows the metaphors to speak for themselves really and i think in, in that way the whole film is constructed that way i think it's it, it cannot again it cannot be an accident that there is kind of a hint of old school misogyny about the title as well um in terms of you know the use of the term cow and then you look at the way this animal is treated what it's used for um and all these different aspects to it and i think when it's doing that the film works superbly it doesn't make too many overt appeals to anthropomorphization of luma and i think that's when the film works at its best i think when uh, i think when it tries to maybe push it just that little bit too far you know like um you know her watching the fireworks at new year and this sort of thing it didn't quite work as as well for me. I just feel like it maybe just tipped over into making too much of an appeal to that sort of thing. However, the way the film is constructed is very much not done as like you know a day in the life of the dairy cow. Like it, it's it's very it's very deliberate the choices that have been made. In particular, there's one um, there's one shot kind of like this kind of like circular structure that the cows are brought into to be milked at and there's a very lingering shot of it early on this comes back later in the film um you know again without as i tend to do without getting into details of kind of precisely how the film progresses where a different shot of the same structure is contrasted and it just sets up it, it, it tells a story very well of this this kind of like sanction of this dairy cow's life and i think it's actually kind of incredible that it manages to do that in an engaging way i think where it slightly disappointed me is when it does make that attempt to attach human emotions to it because i don't think it needs to do it i think there are sections where it doesn't do that and it still works very well if you have any ounce of frankly if you have any ounce of empathy for anything um it, it achieves that anyway. I don't think it needs to make these, to me, it was occasionally slightly hokey appeals to that. Um, so overall, I overall I think it's a really skilled piece of filmmaking. And that doesn't surprise me because she's a very skilled filmmaker. There are, there's the occasional choice where I'm looking at going, I don't know if you need to, to push it that far. I feel like it would make a more um a more meaningful impact and it wouldn't dilute kind of what you're doing if you maybe just didn't try to push it that that little bit extra so it's a little bit divisive in my head i'll admit um but overall i'm on board with this just not every choice that's made i think um yeah i mean i guess i when when you contrast this film to something like and i don't know if you've seen my octopus teacher that is that is one film where i feel like you're looking at a animal and you know projecting human emotions onto that really explicitly and this film isn't doing that whatsoever i mean i think to, for me in that sense uh, because you know it happens to be christmas and the guy has a you know a christmas hat on and it happens to be new year's and these things can that they're just constantly happening and you know and and the cow's life is the same you know every day and every day 
I think of the way that it was shot um, is, you know, as somebody mentioned something around existential, I think of the way that it was shot was incredible. I think as Steph, you, you mentioned, it's um, incredibly emotional and something that is so simply an observational piece. And I'm, I didn't get the impression that it was, um, you know, projecting too much human emotion onto that. I got the impression that, uh, you know, I've watched films around following one thing. I mean, I watched one about a, a piano being built in a Steinway factory, you know, and you just follow, I think it's just by following, and it goes kind of back to this idea of flea being very personal. It's a following one specific thing for four years um, and and shot in the and with the intimacy that was in this that just makes it so emotional and uh, really hard not to um, like you said empathize with. I, I mean, I I you know I I I won't be able to talk too much more about the things that happened without giving it away, but also without getting emotional because I think it was a a much more emotional uh, watch than I expected. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think that I think that to me, and I understand Jim's point of view with this and Amanda's, I think for me, I didn't feel that the film was trying to force um a kind of human reaction from the cow. I think that the way that this film kind of got such an emotional reaction from well, speaking for me personally was because I think when you're looking at a documentary, when you're looking, when it's focused on one specific animal from a herd and you're focused through this, you will attach the, your own emotions, what you're feeling onto this animal and it's going to be unavoidable. And I think that's what this documentary was trying to achieve. What I was quite, what I was really happy about, because when it when the documentary first opened and I, you know, when you, I realised there was going to be no sort of narration there. Um, and I think the lack of this anthro pomorphization um, was at what was what worked for this because I think the worst thing that this this documentary could have done was put some sort of voiceover on the cow and do and and try and make this cow appeal to the way that we would see a cow, see the same story with, with a human being because that's that's just not going to work it's just it's not the same it's comparing um to colliding kind of species I think that I think that I agree with Jim as well. I think with the music and some of the choices there were a bit, they, they, a lot of them didn't really make much sense to me. Um, and it is it was difficult to kind of find out where that was kind of intentional or where that was just playing in the form. And that was just on in the background. I think it was quite obvious with when it was Christmas with Fairtale in New York that that was just happening to be playing there. Um, I don't think that this documentary necessarily lost a lot from doing that, but I don't think it needed to have these things playing to illustrate the point. And the point was was really clear from just following the kind of repetitious, daunting kind of bleak day of this animal, which was, you know, the, the focal point for the whole film. But yeah, um, I think it is very important for people to watch. I think, I think it is going to be quite a controversial one. I think that it's going to, like everything else, more people are going vegan, etc. It's going to be one of those things that's going to um, um, emphasize this kind of change in lifestyle, change in, um, change in attitudes as opposed to farming and animals and then the climate and everything. 
but I don't think this this documentary necessarily is trying to force a particular narrative there. I think it's I think it is mostly there to be observational. And I think, like Jim was saying, if you do have any ounce of empathy, you you will be affected with this, regardless of like the way you eat food or live your life. It's it's a very it is a really moving piece, but it is emotional, and it. Yeah, I don't really have much more to say about it than that, but it's one to look out for because it is it's such it's so uniquely filmed as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, basically, I, I I got a lot out of the film. I mean, I think despite some of the reservations I have about it, it is essentially, you know, if you give the synopsis of this film, it'd be very easy to think there's an anti-dairy farming polemic of some sort. But I think if you think that, then. <sighs> If you imagine the sort of documentary about dairy farming that Andrea Arnold would would make, I mean, frankly, it is this sort of film. I don't think so. I don't think we were ever going to get any sort of, you know, one of these Netflix style documentaries of, you know, like you know, lots of montages and heavy music and and things like that. I think the thing is, though, it's a very successful experiment in empathy, um, and I think that is down to the way it's shot the way that it has been edited and structured. And I think that's maybe why I find it a little bit disappointing when it tips over into trying to force it a little bit too much. And and personally, I'm of the opinion, it definitely does that at points. I mean, I think like, I think garbage is milk plays at one point. Um, and then I think some of the lyrics around the force of scene are like cover, like that sort of thing. I mean, I can't remember every choice because it took me a couple of songs to clock onto if I was like, ah, okay, hold on, this is not, this cannot be incidental. It's too on the nose. In particular, as you get towards the end of the film, um, there's one particular musical choice where that just absolutely nails it on for me. And it's like, this is clearly Andrea Arnold's kind of, you know, you know, and her creative team having a little bit of a, you know, a stylistic flourish here. And for me, those bits, it's not that they don't work. It's it doesn't need it, and I think it just starts to push it a bit more um, than the film really needs to. Because I think I think she's a skilled enough filmmaker and has made informed enough choices about how to shoot this, and then how it's um, getting edited and structured afterwards. It really doesn't need it. Um, so I to me, it's just it's a little bit disappointing that those bits got pushed that way, and it's not that it's trying to project human emotions onto the cow or you know project human it's not that it's doing that it's it's just this slight appeal to put you in that position which it doesn't need it i i really don't think it needs it and i think it's at its strongest when it takes a step back and it allows you to it allows you to empathize in a very open manner and kind of what you know because there's different parts of the experience either kind of like you know being basically used for one thing only uh you know there are lots of different points where you can jump into this film project your own emotions into it and i think the way the film has been structured shot and edited allows you to do that so when it takes that option away from you by injecting uh some of these more kind of like you know emotional flourishes let's say I find it a little I find it a little disappointing. But overall, I don't want to be I don't want to be too down on it, those choices because I do think it's a very I think it's a very a very good film. It's a very good documentary and I really I really engaged with it. It's just th- those moments I eh, I could have done without, to be honest. Yeah, I 
Now I am curious whether or not it was semi-diegetic or that was really I, I, good sound design. I, I'm 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 convinced it's good sound design and it's it's no I I I I'm not gonna rule out any of that music being diegetic, but I'm willing to bet that every single one is a deliberate choice. Hmm. Well, something I'll investigate more. Um, okay, so Cow is available on Mubi and um, might still be available in cinemas across the UK as well. Uh, so check it out if you want. So that's our show for February. And um, yeah, thank you all for being with us. Uh, Isabel, what's, um, what are you looking forward to in February? Oh, I'm looking forward to hopefully going out for a few nice meals in different places, seeing a lot of good films, and then, yeah, our, um, our events starting back up. So, yeah, all around very, very excited. And uh, Steph, um, how about you? What are you looking forward to? Um, I have a lot of people just now having babies this month that I, I know so that's going to be it's going to be quite a wild <laughs> February for me uh, meeting quite a lot of babies um, other than that I think that I'm, I'm working on a new um, cinema piece for um, a site about I'm doing a, a new queer cinema um, piece which I'm quite excited about um, so that should be um, coming out quite soon um, when I've finished it and uh, other than that, I think that just kind of getting back into doing more reviews and and and, and stuff for you know um, former publications and getting more stuff for my own for myself. And then I think just looking to kind of get back in the way of things. I think that um, since Christmas and you know the the Omicron and stuff, it's getting back to slowly getting back to more normality over here now. So it'd be nice to kind of catch up with people and just kind of get back to normality for a bit. Absolutely. And speaking of having babies, uh, Jim, I can imagine what you're looking forward to. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so due, well, by the time this goes out, the um, the due date will be quite soon. So I, I will be, I'll be very surprised if you're hearing from me next month, but you know, never say never. We'll see. But yeah, no, exciting times ahead. And, um, and that's, I'd be, pretty sure that will have happened by the next time we broadcast but stay tuned <laughs> congratulations again and we'll be doing we'll be doing a um a glasgow film festival just a, a note glasgow film festival starts the beginning of march uh tickets are on on sale now they have a really great program um, and it's a really wonderful festival if you've not explored it before. In fact, there will be a couple um, film screenings at the Film House in Edinburgh, if you live in Edinburgh as well. Um, and I'm sure there's um, options for online uh, viewing as well, because Glasgow at Home exists. Um, so, and we'll be doing our regular Glasgow Film Festival special on that. As, uh, as we mentioned before, we're picking back up Cinetopia events, which is exciting. So Cinetopia and Cinescapes events. So Roman holiday on the 20th of February, um, Cinetopia Doc is back in person again, yay. And that is uh, the 2nd and 3rd of March. And um, pretty soon by um, probably shortly after this broadcast, we'll be announcing um, our regular networking events again, which we'll be doing the first one with Edinburgh Short Film Festival, combining a few shorts from Dutch shorts as well. So very exciting. Hope, that's what I'm looking forward to is getting back to doing events again 
and um and watching more films so thanks again so much for being part of this uh february edition um for joining us and um as always please write us let us know what you think at cinetopia hub as instagram at cinetopia on twitter cinetopiashow.com thanks again and see you next time